welcome to a Fallout Podcast episode 49, aka Let Me Tell You About The Wee Lads. It's a frankly offensive fall showdown, all of the songs going head to head in an ultimate warrior battle, split into four eras, 77 to 85, 86 to 93, 94 to 01, and 02 to the end. Up tonight, we have Who Makes The Nazis versus Mir Psood Mag Editor and his father, a Day in the Life versus Lucifer over Lancashire. Powder Keg, I'm warning you, against mm, Pumpkin Soup and Victrola Time against the less said the better Snazzy. Joined as always by Monsieur Chippington Pippington Rugby. Back to the Big Apple, a.k.a. Christopher Columbus 2. How are you, Philip? I'm, I'm very good, mate. You know, at, at my level. At your level, at my <laughs> level. And Lord S. Temple, Blue Lagoon Tour from 24 of 56. Ask about our quad buggies. Do ask about our quad buddies. Buggies. Not the buddies. Don't ask about the buddies. They're for the premium guests. T. Pemberton Walker. Mineral rich lakes, towering volcanoes, boiling mud pools, and carbon monoxide poisoning. Ah, you've just been skylarking. Oh, XTC. And tiny Tim Twa cupping the hand of Edward the Odd. Is he here today? He's tuned in, yes. Yes, good. And I am 3T3 Beards. I'll face it like a fighter and boast of how I've grown. So, up tonight first, before the main event, we have a delightful trek down Henry Cow Lane, led by Pippington. Tell us more, Philip. Well, yeah, we've been on and out about doing a Henry Cow Futures and Pass, haven't we, for quite a while. So, and uh, I'm going to assume that we're all into Henry Cow around this, around this virtual table. I think the, their first gig was playing with Pink Floyd, and then they've toured with Faust and Captain Beefheart. So that's the territory that we're in with these guys. Um, there's some obvious fall connections, but I, I guess that the most amusing is the kind of willfully uncommercial sound that Henry Coe managed to manufacture between themselves. Fred Frith, I think, is the most famous character involved with them. Uh, there was also another chap called Tim Hodgkinson, who I think did the uh, vocal duties for a lot of the stuff. It's a bit difficult picking songs from Henry Coe because they're all quite long and they're all incredibly varied, which is a, which is a real trademark of the sound but I thought I'd start off with something off first album which is variously called legend or legend depending on how you cut your poison and uh, the first track that I heard by them was Nine Funerals of the Citizen King which is the, the last track off that album so I was just going to play a little bit off that to give us a bit of a flavour of a spectacle of free no one ever let you see the Citizen King Ruling the fantastic architecture of the burning cities where we buy and sell. That the snark was a boojum of But a rose is a rose is a rose, said the mama of da da. As long ago as nineteen nineteen, you make a rain. 
Just waiting for it to kick in. Well, this is one of the unusual things about Henry Cow, isn't it? They're very unpredictable when you're listening to them, which keeps it really exciting. I think a lot like um, it was, I don't think it's a surprise that they felt attracted to the scene in Germany. And given the fact that they were on a bit of a similar project, really, whereas they they, they tried to move away from a traditional rock sound with any of the stuff and were far more influenced with jazz, classical composition, especially contemporary classical stuff, or perhaps more accurate concert music, really, and orchestrated stuff. And as the band developed, they, they acquired more and more, um, I guess, what you would classify as being more traditional classical trained instrumentalists, so like oboes and strings and things like that started to join the band. But there was also this really relentless experimental edge to this stuff as well, so that when guitar does come into the music, it's, it's not like guitar that you would normally experience. I think a, a, a lazier person than I may, may lump them into the prog sort of movement but they don't really fit naturally within that prog scene of the early 70s and they're, they're much more akin I think to uh, so, so like classical experimentalists and probably from that the, the, the more contemporaries of sort of like Boulay and that more sort of serialist approach in terms of music I guess that modernist kind of edge the obvious link with the, the fall is the song War isn't it which they covered um, which I think we all cooed over Ezra what's, what does H-Cow mean to you and how are they connected to this institution the fall well actually not that much because I've never really listened to them um i've listened to art bears and i've listened to plenty of fred frith quite fond of the band k-space you know that sounds fantastic the track that phil just played i would probably use that as the gateway to getting into the hard stuff of carolina's rainbow because that's the first thing that jumped into my head when i heard that i'm sure that smith and some of the fallers were big fans you know it's not like you know sometimes they'll cover shit like which is quite popular or poppy you can say well they might have been just having a laugh or they might actually really like this track but here i think it's obvious that they must have loved the henry cows and what's not to love there's a rumor that smith auditioned in quotes for the lead singer of henry cow it's almost certain that's a made-up story you were almost signed to motown as well <laughs> exactly so i'm gonna give you a blast of uh henry cow's war um as opposed to the uh the fall version of it which i think did change some of the lyrics but it, i i adore this track i think it's amazing both lyrically and musically tell us the birth Oh, 
conjugating sacred verbs. So on vocal duties there as well, you heard Dagmar Cruz, who's from Slap Happy. This album was the product of Henry Cow splitting Slap Happy up because uh, they did some work together. They got invited over to record some things together because um, I think they were both on Virgin at the time. The, the, basically, there was a bit of a split in the band between this and then uh, Doug McCruise joined Henry Cow, and as you can hear there, and there's some great live stuff on YouTube as well of them, what looks like some stately home in Germany uh, where they do some of the tracks off this album. But I, I think she's an amazing artist and I think her vocal duties uh, are, are great on this, just like they were with Slap Happy. Yeah, you can see how that's very Zappa-ish and rather than a prog direction, you can see particularly why Smith, who had a soft spot for Beefheart, and Zappa gets a bit of a free ride with any Beefheart fan at the start. You can see how they came from that direction, maybe. Yeah, Alistair, what about the cow for you? Yeah, what I know quite like. Um, kind of got to know people like Fred Frith before. I got to know Henry Kay. No Fred Frith from uh, one of Ezra's favourite bands, Naked City. Cracking sort of experimental stuff going around at the time. It just seemed to be more accepted. Signs of Virgin, decent distribution, more chance of airplay for that kind of thing. You mentioned B-Fat Zappa picked up on that kind of thing, and you can hear a bit of sort of like Robert Wyatt in there. In there. You can hear it in bands like the Cardiac, I, you know, they've been influential. But yeah, very nice. Silly yeah. vocal, brilliant. And like uh, Ezra was pointing to the art burrs and all of the family tree of and all Fred Fritz stuff, it's, it's a very rich seam to get into. It's splendid stuff. Thanks for bringing it to the table, Philip. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually no. connecting it with um, Etron Fila Luplan as well. Because uh, I know there's definitely an LP sleeve that they've got where there's a drawing and uh, there's a guy and he's got a sticker, a Henry Cow sticker on his suitcase. So I was going to finish off with a bit of a track off the 74 album unrest called Ruins because one of the things that I, I wasn't aware of until I started reading up a bit more about them was how involved in theatre they were. And right from early doors, you know, there's been a lot of soundtrack stuff that they've been involved in, especially but from a theatrical point of view, so doing it live with performance. So I'm just going to play a little bit of Ruins, which if I've got the right bit, hopefully, it's it's a really good crossover between all these different tensions and the music or different influences. So...
Very nice, very nice indeed. But let us tarry no longer. The main event. Who makes the Nazis off Hex Induction Hour against mere pseud mag editor also off Hex? Who would have thought it? Can we have a blast of that first fine tune? Who makes the Nazis? <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. Philip Rigby, as is customary in these parts, what do you think of problematic Marquis Smith and his song, <laughs> Who Makes the Nazis? Oh, you're right. Okay, so this has triggered quite a lot of conversation this week, hasn't it? And rightfully so, because it's an amazing bit of art. I shall stick out there right, right from the off. To a large extent, for me, this is four and a half minutes of what fuckery. It, it's, I, I think it's amazing. I think musically, it's possibly one of the most accomplished things that they've recorded. Lyrically ambiguous, I shall say, uh, as I'm sure you and Ezra will rack over the hot coals of words that are at display here. Um, I've got some views myself, but I'll, I want to hear what you two said first. Um, I think from a musical point of view, so inventive. The, it, I, first, I thought he was playing harmonics on the verse, but it's it's just a plucked chord that he's then strumming, isn't it? And then this simple sort of repetitive guitar that, that seems to shimmy the line between sunshine and sort of sinister moonlight in, in terms of how it moves from, from one side to the other. Tribal toms over the top of it, very atmospheric tape recorder noises going off in the backgrounds straining your ear to, to work out what this song is actually talking about. And I ended up having a discussion with uh, Invisible Stew over the last couple or Tim Twa about uh, about really what it's getting at as a song. And I, I I think it's it's one of those deliberately ambiguous pieces, I think. He's he's deliberately trying to be um obscurantist, I think, about the uh, the whole affair. But I'm I'm mesmerized from start to finish with this. It's I it never gets boring for me this truck absolutely deliberate shit housing is how i would describe it baiting. <laughs> baiting just throwing out all of these strands who makes the nazis who killed the kennedys etc etc uh, ezra what about you yeah i mean this is such a fine piece of music and i'm gonna start by talking about the music first because you know like as has been said hex induction era was one of the first fall albums i had and i listened to it was the first full album I had listened to and right from the get-go this was one of my favorite tracks on it and it, it it's just this great kind of tranced out drum beat and listening back to it you know I, I felt like it was really providential that last week last week we were talking about Lee Perry because I was like here I really feel like there's a strong strong Perry influence because you have all these kind of drop-ins you know you've got the like backing vocals you've got tape cuts coming in 
Um, and it just sounds like they're, you know, they're really, really like going for that. They're going for that kind of Lee Perry sound. And as we said last week about Lee Perry, it's really about their environment and the stuff they've got to have. So instead of like having pitched down cows or whatever, you know, you've got like crackling tapes and uh, toy guitars dropping in. I think that's probably the toy guitar, legendary toy guitar that Smith composed quite a few fall tracks on. Maybe, I don't know. But And the guitar playing is immense. It, it's really, I mean, it's right up my street. I'm not a guitarist. I, I don't know that much about technique. That's the kind of guitar that I want to hear. And it's interesting because if you hear the live version on the Fall in a Hole, that's a fantastic version. And I don't know who's playing the lead, if it's Scanly, but they just extemporize on it. And it, it's also funny because obviously Riley was soon to get the sack. So I like to imagine that it's Riley and all through the performance Smith is glowering in his mind thinking that show off cunt who does he think he is I'm gonna sack him as soon as the gig's over <laughs> so that you know that's just a bit of geekery but yeah I mean I never really looked at the lyrics that much and so when I did imagine my surprise <laughs> they're just all over the place and I think part of it is, you know, I mean, for one thing, like one of the Hanleys in one of the books, uh, I think Have a Bleeding Guess, says, well, you know, when you've got a title that strong, you can just say what you want. And I would concur because this question has been resounding in my brain ever since I heard that song. And it becomes more pertinent by the day. Um, and I think he pretty much answered it within the lyrics, but in three words or even two words, depending on how you count your words. Um, and I would say that's intellectual halfwits is what makes the Nazis and probably a good dose of bad bias television. So, yeah, that, that's that's all I'm going to say so far on that. I no, I'm with you. Scatters that blame far and wide. But as he, with many of these, he seems to kind of uh, come down on sellouts, idiots and uh, the um, those lacking integrity, especially in the middle classes. Alistair, what about you? Who makes them bleeding Nazis? Well, I've not really listened to the lyrics much, but, you know, my kind of opinion of it is, you know, when a mum and a daddy love each other, they sometimes have a special hug and uh, a sproggle appear. Then the mummy and daddy start buying the Daily Mail and expose the little sprog to media and, um, you know, the government do the bit. Now, hey, Presto, you have a Nazi. Don't forget Love Island. Oh, yeah, don't forget Love Island. But, yeah, it's a nice dirge, isn't it? Really love the guitar, like the, the discordant sort of sound to it. And... I did think it was harmonics on the guitar there, Phil, but uh, you saying on the bass. Yeah, I love the vibe of the song. It reminds me a bit of the kind of feeling that you got in stuff like Iceland, that kind of like mystical sort of feel to it, you know, with all the tape noise chucked in there. It's a, it's a lovely little uh, patchwork, isn't it? It is. It's splendid. I mean, musically, yeah, that, that harmonics-ish kind of sound. And if you listen to the is it the Peel session where it's clearly a toy guitar being plucked, but on the, uh, on the album, they're doing some jiggery pokery that, that sounds like harmonics lumbering cat-handed riffage that just keeps plowing in things falling over and glasses smashing who makes the nazis indeed joy division reference mm. uh that backing vocals of <laughs> which is splendid um 
lyrically evasive. Apparently, he was asked what the stupidest lyric he ever wrote was, and he said it was Benny's Cobweb Eyes off Who Makes the Nazis. But that's a brilliant lyric, even without um, the apparent Crossroads references. I'll tell you who makes the Nazis. All the O's, Wino, Spermo, 29-year-old arse-licking hate, motels like three split-level mirages. I'll tell you who makes the Nazis. Buffalo lips on toast, smiling. I put a finger on the weird. This was real Irish. No Joe then was as good as gold and told of the rapists in the spa motel. Bad bias TV, arena badges, BBC, George Orwell, Burmese police. Who makes the Nazis? That's before you even get down into. Remember when I used to follow you home from school, babe, before I got picked up for paedophilia? It's, um, <laughs> good Lord. Come on. Come on. Give us a break, Mark. We're trying our best. I'm not even quoting the most dubious set of lyrics. But um... but the thing is, what kept occurring to me is that at no point can you pin him down in, in this tune at all. You could quite easily say it's a critique of the left or the right politically in it. You could say it's a critique of media. You could say it's a critique of overall geopolitics because every time he says bad Tel Aviv, I, I've heard bad Tel Aviv rather than bad Tel Aviv. And I think he deliberately plays on that. I, also the whole kind of long horn lock horn thing that's going on in it as well. It's like, where is he pointing the finger? Or is it? Is there anyone who doesn't have the finger pointed at them? And then when I was talking to Tim Twyer about it, he said, well, he's he's always envisioned this as being like pundits on a news show where they're discussing this important question of the age and everyone's got their own view on it kind of thing. And he's just throwing all these random different views out, which to me seems like the most sensible way of interpreting this song completely. Yeah. And the, the other thing that just that just kind of was, was going through my head is the fact that when you read the scholarship around fascism and Nazism and stuff like that, there isn't actually a universal definition around these things. It's an incredibly uh, contentious and debated thing about what they are. So there isn't a very clear answer as to kind of what the, what the answer to this exam question could be. And maybe that's some of the ambiguity that he's, he's mining in this tune as well. Sure, and that makes a lot of sense. If he's getting various perspectives and he's a smart lad and he's taking them all in and saying, this doesn't, none of this adds up. And it's the same, what's it called? The the the, the law on the internet where as soon as you call someone a Nazi, the, exactly, the conversation's over. It, it's down that. But again, those lyrics we haven't quoted yet and probably I won't do push it into some pretty dodgy territory. And there is a bit on the annotator fall about that bit about it being Tel Aviv, which then does open up a whole other area of um, real powder kegs, shall we say. <laughs> but let's see whether it comes back again. Maybe we'll just do a problematic Marky Smith episode in which we uh, hunker down with every line that could be um, interpreted harshly, shall we say. And um, yeah, We'll get Iggy Poppy in as a guest. For exactly. <laughs> He'd do it as well, wouldn't he? The, the whore. All right. <laughs> hey, what does Tim think of that first song about the Nazis? <laughs> He's put, is the answer that we all do, we monsters... Personally, I think this is a bit of a pastiche of Anchorman asking impossibly grandiose questions of idiot public who mutter something only tangentially related. We even get a cutaway to our sponsor who informs us that we should murder all Whatever it's about, it's a compelling piece of atmospheric wordplay, grotesque imagery and hypnotic strums. Great stuff. 
So there yes. you go. He did it for you. Great stuff indeed. I'm not. Uh, no comment. <laughs> um, it's up against mere Sud Mag editor, also of Hex Induction Hour. Let's have a gander at that. Sounds a bit like Sonic Youth, doesn't it, mate? Ezra, does it sound like Sonic Youth? Yeah, I don't want to give a concise answer to that just yet. But for me, this, this is an interesting track because it was always, for me, I think the most impenetrable track on Hex, like where I had no idea and no real hook, even maybe theoretically in these days was, you know, I mean, you had the world it's wrong days i also felt you know like i should start trying to wean myself off my dependence of the annotated fall so when i was listening to this track i decided that i would transcribe the lyrics myself they've been pretty revelationary i'm gonna read some had a bedwetter wear saltines again bag of ferrets your computer teaches them of listerine bells and jackpot storm apex that's imitation plate of gravy he's poisonous and likes a penis snipe uh gear loaded mic Kick off your black and tights, Beethoven facts, kick back with Pabst. Uh, shoulder aspirin, a devil on tablets. Confused Mr. Wayland by one. Ted eats at least. Bless the managers of nowhere, lest Manfred mans the foghorn. Place for the meditators' fathers. This inhibited fervor goes shrimp black like a cicada. I just found mum messy messaging cicada. So I, I think I'm about 70% accurate at least. And that it, that's incredible because it really proves beyond a shadow of the doubt that Marky Smith was a premier psychic. And in these lyrics, he managed to predict Aphex Twin and the fact that he didn't like Aphex Twin's music. I presume he didn't. I mean, it sounds like he didn't. Also, Ted Heath. He predicted Ted Heath. Who, who would have known about Ted Heath in 1981? Um, and also potentially the internet. So that's big. That's fucking big. And the music's great. Yes, it is great. And I think those lyrics were splendid and delightful. And uh, yeah, Annotated Fall. Hold on, I've just got them on the phone here. Bing, bing. Yes, hello, Annotated Fall. No, no, no. He says 70%. Seven. No, don't tell him. Don't tell him. Bye. I love you. So they've, uh, they say you did a good job anyway. So, uh, Alistair, what do you make of mere pursued mag editor's father, etc.? I do like it, but um, as we sort of like comments about Teddy, um, Teddy, he was quite a famous band leader, wasn't he? And quite a few records out by that time. <laughs> On the gram of the death. <laughs> It's a great one, though, this one. It's, uh, you know, that two-drummer lineup, uh, giving it a right sort of kick up the arse. And it gets into some, like, fairly disjointed, funky, angular, kind of punky kind of grooves to it. Love the dirty guitar, dirge, and Smith's delivery. It's, it's, 
it's a bloody great song uh, and the, the title's fantastic as well isn't it it's just sort of like totally belittling some sort of journal out there definitely ticks boxes for me right on um Ted Heath was the uh, Prime Minister uh, up until 1974 so pre-cog uh, checks have not have not come through there Marky Smith probably loved FX Twin 2 as well. I'm going to go out on a limb, on a limb, and say this is the noisiest fall song in their catalogue. And I challenge any of you, Spectre vs. Rector doesn't count. That's just bad production. Anybody to challenge me on that. Slate, slate. That's production. I'm talking about the actual noise generated by those beautiful, beautiful guitars. Yeah, close maybe, but this is a tight, compact. I'm inventing this genre, whatever. Listen, this is it goes from that. It goes, (laughs) yes, that beautiful, that beautiful snazzy. It goes from that beautiful melodic opening noise rock riff comes in with dueling guitars. All Craig, I ask, did they invent the genre of T-Moore or were they watching the no-wave scene? Things beautiful. A bridge speeds up and um, some great lyrics as well. His hand was well out of his pocket. His Sykes in the hearth, real ale curry as well. Sophisticate. So Spanish guitar doesn't get far in computer teaching job. His dream girl sings adverts for the Weetabix. A fancied wit that's an imitation of Rumpole of the Bailey. I'm going with those lyrics as much as I like Ezra's. And another, I mean, not very disguised attack on the middle classes and their lack of integrity. So two sides of the very, very same coin. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And this is the hardest decision of the evening slash morning for me. But Phil Rigby, what do you think about mere pursued mag editor? I love this tune. I, I absolutely adore it. It's one of the first fall tunes I genuinely fell in love with. Um, I, I, and I, I'm very surprised that Al talks about this without using the adjective moronic because I, I, to me, this is like one of them quintessential moronic riffs that they get going. Like, <coughs> it's, it's fab. That was the bit that I always tried to ape in, uh, in writing riffs in Straight On Cafe was, was that sense of just <coughs> energy, sort of that that kind of riffage going on. So I, yeah, I've I've written this song off several times. I just love the raw power of it all. It's you're quite right. It's very ragged. It's in the red. It's but it's like past the red. Infrared. Infrared. Also, the the thing that I really like about it is it, it reminds me a bit of Madness. That sort of stupid Veronic vibe that they get going. Oh, look at that. Oh, God. Oh, come on. Get, come on, on get out of here. I love madness, but they, I, You don't love madness. I do no. love madness. <laughs> no, you don't. Love him. You, don't. you haven't even got any baggy choices. Continue. I'm getting all day. That's it. I've done. What does Tim think? You're on the madness thing. What does Tim think of this song? Sounds like yeah. madness. He's put, love this one, a real brutal grind that would be banal if played straight, but here it's all angles and elbows. Is that real evil in the ranks of the bourgeoisie? Probably not. To be honest, I often find myself walking around muttering twice each, at least twice each, etc. for some reason or other. I really enjoy the tin can bashing percussion. I never realised it was so short until I found myself having to listen to it at least three times each time I went through the playlist. Well, that's the thing as well. It does not outstay its welcome. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. But it's time to vote on the tough one. Who makes Nazis or Mapsudmag? Philip? <sighs> 
I, it's, this is very hard because I love the overall vibe of Mia Sood's Mag Ed, but Who Makes the Nazis is kind of a bit more interesting, I think. Mm, I'm going to give them two each. Are we splitting his vote again? Yep. Sitting on the fence. Lame. Lame. Alistair, show me how it's done. Well, it's very, very tif- a difficult decision, Brendan. Um, and at the end of the day, one of them's got to go, aren't they? Uh, have, they have. Really good songs. So I'm going with uh, Mia Sood Maggot. I mean, there's always a second chance saloon for either of these two. They've got to be in the running next time round. However, Ezra? Well, I, I don't feel like I gave Mia Sood Maggot a fair whack. My um, back of the bike shared tabulations on my shirt sleeve. But nonetheless, I've got to vote with who makes the Nazis because they're a longhorn breed. Exactly. Showing your true colours. As, as a fan of great pop is what I mean there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim Twa has gone with Mia Sood. But what do you go for, Phil? Because I'm going for Mia Sood as well, so it doesn't matter. That's Nazis out. Idiots. Repeat Idiots. Nazis again. Yes, Nazi punks go away. <laughs> Flip off. But they will return. Exactly. They shall return, I'm sure, in that second chance saloon. But that's going to that is going to be packed with goodens. That is going to be packed. Uh, however, no more tears for those badens. And moving on to a day in the life. It's a Beatles song. Just think of what he could have done if Lennon and McCartney had been in the fall. It's beautiful. It's a straight down the line cover of one of the greatest songs of all time. You know, when was this? It came out on the Enemy Childline LP, the uh, compilation, uh, Sergeant Pepper, you might have heard It's on the same LP that Wet 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 did, a uh, little help from my friend. If that that was the number one single. This album it so... within you without you. Yes, uh, Billy Bragg was on there. And of course, Frank did Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, a fantastic version of it. Sergeant Pepper knew my father. They had a good go straight down the line. They did a fantastic job of backing up Smith. But I don't know. I don't know. What can you? What else can you say? Take Smith and have him do a bunch of brilliant songs. I like Frank's song better than this, but uh, it's very nice indeed. They had a good go at the orchestra bit as well. I'm pegging most of this on Simon Rogers, classically trained panpipe pianist. Nothing more to say. What does Tim think? I hate this. <laughs> so straight, it doesn't deserve any comment, really. It's a superb song, and this version is a worse one than the original with no other distinguishing feature. I think the verses, Lennon's verses, sound way better, but I've always disliked McCartney's part of this song. And I think Smith does a... I think, I think Lennon and Smith would have probably, in the long run, been a better move. <laughs> Chapman, you foiled us again. <laughs> 
He shot the wrong people. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh, Ezra, what do you think of this cover? Well, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, you know, I'm sure Brendan will concur that as a English fella living abroad, if there are three things that will always be assumed about you or asked about you, it's football, the Beatles, Oasis. The Industrial and Revolution. Fo- Meet people on trends all the yeah. time. The Industrial Revolution. <laughs> Whatever, mate, whatever. And, you know, football football can just fuck off. I mean, it, it's it's for scabs, right? You've got no, no class com- no comment. There's fucking like football. Commercial views. Ah! <laughs> Next. Oasis, that can fuck off too. Third place, the Beatles. Yeah, okay, the Beatles, that's a tough one because, you know, I'm sure that many of you were in a similar position to me where you were just doused in the Beatles. Like, I, I was doused in the Beatles from a young age. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously they're good. I've gotten to the point where I never need to listen to the Beatles again. But I can also You're say that they in the Beatles. Have you got the Beatles on your chest? Right, yeah, I'm wearing yeah. a Beatles t-shirt, which... Your information was gifted to me. I didn't ask for it. I don't ask for any of the clothes I wear. They're just given to me. That's how I get clothes. I don't go to clothes shops because they're fucking horrible. So let's let's not get into that. But anyway, so back to this song. It's, yeah, you know, like arguably one of the Beatles' very best songs. And so when I heard that The Fall had done a cover version of this, I was like, I have got to hear this by any means necessary. This, this is going to be amazing. And I listened to it, and and the person, my friend, who had a copy of it was like, oh, it's just karaoke, man. And I listened to it, and it was not just karaoke. It was fan-fucking-tastic. The band have a hot go at covering it. And Marky Smith is Marky Smith. And it's fucking beautiful. <laughs> it's one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard. Um, and you know, it's just the fall. It's it, it's the gift that keeps on giving. I love this so much. It's sublime beyond measure. Beautiful. I was not doused in the Beatles, strangely. My parents like Motown, Northern Soul, and um, the, and we had like four records in the house. I think we had the best of Rod Stewart, the best of the Eagles, and two Motown compilations. And I think that's all I heard until uh, till I found the radio at age fourteen. Yeah, good parents, man. Well, you know, they did their bit. However, Hello? once I did find the Beatles, I did feel, fall deeply and madly in love when I remained there to this very day. I, I never stuck. had the option. I would have um, opted out if I could. If I'd known, I would have opted out. The greatest rock and roll band. He, he says that. He says that, right? But when, when, when I joined a band with Brendan, I was utterly obsessed with Beatles and had been for years and years and years. And you kicked that right out of me in the time that we spent in a band. Every single time there was a Beatle reference, it was there was going to be blood on the floor with your boot in it. Well, it wasn't cool, nah, was it? Beatle crap. You know what? I'll listen to Happiness is a Warm Gun. All I want is Happiness is a Warm Gun. Give me that. That's an acceptable reference. Alistair, what do you think of this Beatles cover by The Fall? Well, yeah, it's put out by Esther Ranson, as I mentioned before. I think it's probably exactly. the only Fall song that Sheila put out. Passages. Um, <laughs> jug flavour crisps. Um, yeah, exactly. Get off. <laughs> what do you think of this song, the cover of the Beatles? There's definitely a lot of time and thought and attention gone into this one, and the budget as well that I thought uh, going by the recording of it. The fact that following included on the compilation uh, it's pretty much testament to the high regard that they must have held it at the time. Uh, it doesn't explain why Frank's on there though, but it's it's one of the best songs on the on the comp. One of the best right, songs right, right. on yeah yeah smackheads. 
Uh, and on the uh, Sergeant Pepper's, like you know, Day in the Life, brilliant song. And I, I couldn't definitely couldn't see where we're doing as good a cover of A Day in the Life as as the fall I've done. But we'll never know, will we? We'll never. Know. No, no. But I reckon Frank could have definitely done it justice. Like the piano on it's great. You can tell it's. Um, I think Rogers's footprints all over it. And, all uh, over it. And I do like the vocal. Like the, the, the you know, he's Smithy singing. It doesn't happen very often, does it? Following a uh, a nice lead there from Lennon putting that guide vocal down 20 years earlier the, it's um, also worth worth mentioning sorry to to, to cut in but i oh, think it's do. also worth mentioning that they uh, also bring in the i'm gonna fuck you like a superman at the end like on the on the youtube clip on the playlist that's mysteriously cut out and there's like three minutes of silence but on okay. the actual version like it kind of goes to silence and then there's this warbly tape loop going i'm gonna fuck you like a superman <laughs> Going, I'm gonna fuck you like a superman. Going, I'm gonna fuck you like a superman. Which, of course, is what was on the groove at the end yeah, of Sergeant, yeah. Sergeant Peppers, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Frank does the run out groove on the end of side A and the fall do it on the end of side B. And it's such a weird like list of artists. I'm just looking at it now. So you, you had the wedding present, uh, Frank Sidebottom, Sonic Youth, the Triffids, and the Fall. And then you also had Wet, 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 the Christians. Hue and Cry and Michelle Shocked. So, so there was a definitely a little... Ranson and the uh, editor of the NME were obviously having a few little back and forths over who was allowed on there. I really want to hear that all, actually. A very mixed bag, shall we say. But, I've um, got a copy of well, you know. <laughs> I had it at 1.2. That, but uh, Frank, I think, for me, is the standout in the... is brilliant. It is bloody good, that. Uh, but getting back to the Beatles, um, yeah. fantastic band, but what they've done to the Liverpool scene is just fucking destroy it. It's like a, a bloody millstone around the, the, the neck of, of Liverpool musicians. If you, don't, if you don't do Beatles covers, then you know, you're bad from Liverpool. There's a bit of that, isn't there? Phil Rigby, have you talked about this song yet? <laughs> Go on, what do you think? <laughs> I'm just like, well, I worked in Liverpool for years. And it was like, I, I went to Liverpool as a big Beatle fan and never, never have to put the Beatle records on anymore now. It's completely, what was left of Brendan's kicking from my rehearsal experience was soon milked out of me by working and existing in Liverpool, where anything to do with the Beatles is just milked to death. This is a very respectful cover version. That's the thing that struck me the most. It's like everybody in the band is very, very respectful. And even Mark, he does a couple of the like naughty schoolboy lyric changes, aren't they? Where it's like, I wonder if the teacher notices that I'm going, I grab my stash. Um, but other than that, it's like he's really, really trying with the vocal. And the first falsetto he hits is really beautiful. And generally, it's it's a really, really good effort from everybody. And um, I, I think the drums are a bit of a letdown I thought on the track and the original I re-went I re-listened to the original last night just to remind myself of the arrangements on it all and it's 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 one of Ringo Starr's shining moments I think a day in the life where he actually plays some some quite nice stuff whereas on this it's it's a bit bit meat and potatoes it's a bit Bob Sanders I don't really like the arrangement that they've got going. I know it's very faithful, but it's it's also a bit mushy for my ear. There's a bit too much bleed coming in um, from from the different voices. Um, although I thought I thought it was um, Nagel at this point on keyboard duties. I'd assumed it was her playing the piano on it, um, and what? and his bricks. 
in the band at this point because it's a female vocal on the solo bit in the middle, which to me has always been the standout bit of the song. It's ah, that bit in the middle where Mac normally sort of takes it off. But in this, I wondered if it was Bricks doing that bit in the middle. And um, I mean, I might have my time in all out if it's 88. I don't know. No, I think you're right. I think she, she was there or thereabouts. Nagel had not shown up at that point. So it's okay. it's Marsha and Simon. Yeah, it doesn't sound like Marsha keyboard. No, it's it's, it's very them. intricate, isn't it? Um, not very intricate, but it's <laughs> it's not. No, it's not too nice. Sort of, it's 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 traditional piano playing, it's, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. I think the thing about the, the karaoke thing, mate, is and we're going on a bit with this, but fair enough. It's the only time we'll get to talk about the Beatles. Uh, the karaoke is the closest I think we've come. I think it's karaoke, and I think I don't know why. You don't do anything with it do they really? no i don't know why they didn't the thing about the beatles and the influence of the beatles they the going back to giving them a kick in when we we're in a band it's like you don't want to sound like the beatles but you influenced by their creativity and their approach to things i knew you were going to say this the i was going to say i remember watching something about saturday night live where they were interviewing some of the original saturday night live performers and it was a it was actually a program sorry but Monty Python and they were saying about how influenced was Monty Python on Saturday Night Live and it, I think it's like Steve Martin or Martin Short or something like that says they were really influential because we didn't want to do something that was like Monty Python and it's it feels that to me is a very healthy attitude to have about the Beatles where you are completely literate in their contribution to music but you don't want to ape them you know you don't want to be a oasis and just be like a bargain basement version of them you want to use the like what um, Ezra was saying before, or at least Scratch Perry. It's about taking that inspiration, but but situating it where you are, isn't it? Which is, I think, is is positive of that experience of being in a band with you and you being such a hater about something that is obviously so precious. Ooh. <laughs> well, we're an hour in. Let's get on to the fourth song. Lucifer. Oh, what about Tim? I know he's always told us. Oh, what about um, Lu- Lucifer over Lancashire from the 1986 uh, Mr. Pharmacist B side? Ooh, la la. Rock it up. What I'm saying to you, Raymond, is that the training that you must have in discussion at your own level regarding the existence of God is far greater than everybody that's ringing you tonight. I have to disagree. I don't have any training at all of that sort. country and northern phil rigby we're back to you first what do you reckon took me a while to get into this yeah country and northern was the first thing that i wrote down it, it's 
I didn't spend a long time listening to the lyrics, so I'm, I'm not sure how occulty this is. I think they've done other stuff like this, which is better. It, it felt a little bit by the numbers, even the, the, the sort of falsetto hooks that Smithy was throwing in there. It's, it, it feels a little bit like, oh, I could try this. It's, it's not like something that's naturally grown. It feels very constructed to me. Um, but after a few listens, I quite enjoyed it. It's There's nothing about it that's offensive or, or boring. Right? Again, the music is a bit mushy to my ear. The production's a bit blurry. I guess what's original about it isn't particularly great. And what's great isn't particularly original about it. So, yeah, it didn't really do a lot for me. Either. Fair enough. Ezra? It's interesting because I'm, I'm torn about whether to vote for A Day in the Life just for the continuation of the bands or Lucifer over Lancashire because it's clearly a better song. You know, I am pro cover version, but this isn't a cover version. And it sounds like the fall. And yeah, you know, I, I like the I like the yodeling aspect of the vocals. The lyrics are yeah, pretty obtuse. I, it's got that great dialogue at the start. The training that you must have in discussion at your own level regarding the existence of God is far greater than everybody threatening you tonight. It just sets the stage for something really interesting. And then, like, you know, Marky Smith kind of does, but also kind of doesn't really, kind of like in a who makes the Nazis way, fails to really nail it, although that might be the point. The sky moves on, his cockeyed moon, a useless priest, cram out your power. It's good, it's good, and I like the music a lot. The common consensus was that it was Craig Scandler who was making that call, and I was going back and forth on Annotated Fall, and uh, it seemed the consensus was that that was what was happening, but it wasn't clear. So I messaged Steve Hanley on uh, Twitter this morning and uh, he got back with merely responding with, that's not Craig. And uh, Danny from the Annotated Fall and uh, Steve from the Falling Fives and me, all of our jaws dropped. Revelation, the book of Revelation. But whoever it is, it is a beautiful setup for the song, but does the song do enough? That's the question, Alistair. What do you think? I think it's bloody great. I loved this one for years. Not sure if it's uh, about the Pendle Witches or not, in which case, you know, the chattics in it, massive, and uh, I'm loving the Demdike groove. Not sure, even sure if there's reference to Darwin Terror in there, because they were kind of like March from Pendle to Lancaster. They, they weren't very friendly to him, and it, you know, it ended a bit messily. Uh, but yeah, the song itself, it's got that sort of like container drivers type groove to it like very powerful but like the uh, the vocals with the Imasumak-esque sort of yodeling on there and it reminds me a bit of, of um, what like an Egyptian by the Bangles and uh, Bricks knew that last from Bangles didn't you um, yeah yeah but there's, there's some lovely disco and noise a um, bit of local estuary you know what's not to like very much so Exactly. My thoughts, exactly. Yeah, the music, I'm with you, Phil. It, it's got that dirgy bass riff and it's got the kind of rockabilly sound, but I don't know if it's quite, it needs to be in the red as is uh, commonly thought around these ways. Uh, but the guitars are great all over it. They're really scratchy. It took me a few listens to actually pick up on what they were doing, but they're doing some really nice, really nice stuff. And then it's that kind of twang semi-twangy kind of um, riff 
on the the chorus it goes on a minute or two too long i think if this was a two minute kind of in and out might work better he doesn't nail the lyrics even though there's a lot of great imagery in there the blackbird shake the hedges on this the hottest day for ages precog resemblance to doctor doctor hit the needle can be discounted no longer lucifer over lancashire completely blind are the sentinel's eyes at the back of his mind the demon's hip the demon's grip he took over everywhere and his blitz now over here i think that's a reference to the movie the sentinel michael winner um late 70s film so i watched it and it's a belter it's a belter lads get it go watch the sentinel if you haven't and then that set me off watching the omen because uh, that chap had just died as well hadn't he which is another belt but you all know that one funky side i didn't know the main two actors but burgess meredith plays one of the who's the penguin right will, yeah. he, he mm. played one of the rotters and there's a young christopher walken and jeff goldblum in there so ava gardner's in it actually as well for a bit but not none of the main it's a really good i've uh, heard of it yeah. yeah it's worth a watch so he's he's around in about in his lyrics he's painting these macabre kind of like pictures but i don't think he turns it up as high as he as as i would have liked for him to really set the scene if it was going to be about something like the pendle witches you had an experience in in uh, pendle on halloween didn't you phil <laughs> yeah did actually yeah, yeah. I, went for a, I went for a halloween hike with a mutual friend of ours a few years ago yeah i had a very very spooky day out just happened to be on halloween which apparently you didn't notice we didn't notice until it started going dark and we realized we were lost and it all went a bit blur which trying Can to we have a special episode on this please <laughs> but we started off from darwin tower jubilee tower because it obviously you take the a666 to get there yeah yeah and uh uh, and then it's like, is it Thurston Moore or something like that? I think it is. Thurston Moore, I think it yeah. is. Thurston Moore. <laughs> and so we, so we, yeah, we did like about a 15 mile round hike and we found this very bizarre, it was like a dead fox that had been set up. It was like a shrine. It was very weird, very odd. And it left us feeling incredibly uncomfortable for the rest of the day as we, as we quickened our pace to try and get back to the car. Yeah, very odd place. Photos, uh, yeah, somewhere. Have you still got the fox? We took well, a photograph of it. It's uh, uh, so, so you yeah. have a big scabby rotting fox in your cupboard somewhere. <laughs> they do talk about uh, the A666 in um, annotated false stuff again, people pointing towards uh, Pendle because that's uh, what we'd expect from this kind of tune. But I don't, I don't really know. Uh, what about Tim? He has put what a beautiful bit of the old chugger chugger. Can't really pull anything solid from it lyrically other than some nice warped cliched references to stereotypical cult business we see so often not top draw or anything but a nice slice of sludgy sinister era ah he nails it doesn't he what about lucifer over lancashire versus a day in the life come on phil uh, well, I am going to fly in the face of convention and go with a day in the life. Purely and simply for nostalgia points, because it was one of the tunes that used to come on uh, automatically on the Tudor jukebox, wasn't it? A day in the life. So yeah. All the time. Very much. Ezra? Well, I'm flying in the face of convention, and, you know, I think it's really tracks before bands. So, yeah, it's um, Lucifer over Lancashire for me. Aye, and bands be damned. Alistair? Yeah, I'm pledging allegiance to certain and voting for Lucifer over Lancashire. Moi or C? What about Tim? Lucifer. All right, it wins. Justice. 
evil and dark justice has been served. Let's move on. It's a bit of a sinister and dark episode, this one, isn't it, all in all? Because the day in the life's all about the uh, the death of uh, Lennon's mate. Powder keg. Ooh. Better listen. post that's the kind of cog question we're going to get into right now and ezra the floor is yours well i mean you know i I was listening to this and i was i was indulging in a fantasy as i want to do where like i go to some dingy bar where there's going to be live music and i'm not a full fan i come in and there's this band playing this and i'm just like first like what the fuck are they doing with that synthesizer (laughs) like why are they playing those cheesy presets and then, like, I'm just like, and, and why is the guitarist being so cheesy? And then the third question is obviously, why? Why am I so happy? What What's happened? What's happened? And this song is just, despite the odds, fantastically brilliant. It's so good. It's so hilarious. And it really makes me wish that the Fall had always had like dancers within their retinue because this is a song that demands a dance routine. And just seeing like, you know, you know, some dancers on stage <laughs> like jibbing out to this, it would make my fucking life complete. It really would. <laughs> Yeah, it's hilarious. Marky Smith, he, he he does some of his best testifying here. You know, you better listen. It's thin. I had a dream, bruised and coloured. It's going to hurt me. Manchester City Centre. Caroline, take me back. I can't get the bus. You know what they say. Retreat <laughs> from Enniskellen. You better listen. He's a powder keg. You better listen to me. <laughs> I could go on and, and I'm really tempted to, but it, take me home. I can't get the bus. <laughs> this is high level. It's, it's, it's such a treat. Keeping the chips off the board now, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's the banality thrown within a song that's ostensibly about the higher bombings. But but that is what happens. I was in a McDonald's in Lee in, in some time in the 80s and they evacuated us and we couldn't get the bus home. You know, so, you know, we had to phone our mums and it's the same thing. The, the, people forget when people say this is a precog of the Manchester City bombings, they forget that Manchester was bombed like in 92 as well. It wasn't as big, but it was like that's probably more like 
like that this album comes like three years after that like user syndrome 96 an album that we all have showered much love on so far and the love continues alistair powder keg powder keg yeah boom manchester bombing that's okay the car next year we uh, used to buy lovely bootleg tapes of bands and there was a block who had a record shop that claimed to be in curtis's cousin that uh, was the 96 one that was the big one i know i know, I know i know i'm just talking about the car next year and my mum got me on agenda here all right <laughs> uh, sounds great though isn't it uh, it's got some cheese in it can't complain about this one not going to complain about this one no so yeah this came out in on june june the 10th something like that 96 and then five days later there was the big ira bombing in the middle of manchester that um did do in the corn exchange and dismissed as precog nonsense nice drum sound and tight snares the one note fake trumpet riffs i dig although i felt the backing i'm gonna i'm gonna stray from the consensus i thought it was a little bit carpetsy like a spiral carpets vamp and as much as I love him, that's not what I'm here for. Phil Rigby, what do you reckon? I think, well, I think Ezra nailed it out. I think if you take any of the individual noises going on on this record, you would just pull your nose off it and just think, what the hell is this crap? This is, you know, whether it's the cheesy keyboard or whether it's the uh, horrible rock guitar that's going on it and stuff. But it comes together and it's hell of a cocktail it's it's just amazing it's such a great record i i lost track about how long i was playing it for before because it was just getting into it. it never gets tired it's just a solid uh pop rock kind of tune i leave it I, yeah we've all got our own manchester stories i guess around the bombing and stuff and it's but i i remember the atmosphere i remember getting evacuated out of shops in wigan for bomb scares and stuff it's like you know it was very much a, a part of the atmosphere growing up wasn't it in england at the time so yeah so uh, pre-cog post-cog i don't know but um i think in terms of this tune it's a cracker it's it's just a great tune i apparently you said uh, someone said do you think manchester's a volatile city and he said that's what all my songs are about how crap the place is i'm trying to warn people if you think about it so uh, that was his take apparently <laughs> what does tim think like a public service basically isn't it the he has put brash and filthy, if simple. A classic bit of prophetic bile, vague enough so Mez could claim another bit of precog down the line. I love the trashy one note horns, as say we all. As we do. But it is up against pumpkin soup and mashed potatoes off the unutterable. Um, set the controls for the heart of lounge. Dream. My oh, Halloween, that's my Halloween tea. 
Mass Pumpkin's nice as well. You should have tried that. But what's going on here, Alistair? Well, yeah, it's uh, more like pumpkin head and mashed potatoes for me. Sounds like uh, Studiantes by Frank Sidebottom, but not quite as good. Uh, and they don't mention... Black Panties. Yeah, they don't, they don't mention Nigel Clough in this one either. I do like the floating. That's quite nice. Uh, it reminded me of some sort of uh, Brazilian stuff from the 60s or 70s or something. Yeah, this is the kind of shit that Jules Holland would be lapping up, though. But yeah, going back to the flute, it did kind of reminded me of the, the thing from Bod or Teddy Edward. Yeah, it's, it's a song, isn't it? It's, it's an unusual one. It's one of those that stands out uh, by the fall. Can't really think of many others by them that sound like this, if any. But yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Well, that's the thing, you know, tucked away on a little B-side, like the third track on a 12-inch, maybe. But no, it's halfway through side two of the album. A pretty good rocking album. You know, we've loved uh, Ketamine Sun, uh, Dr. Buck's Letter, Sons of Temperance, uh, Two Librans, and all that stuff. Does cater. It's a great record. What are they thinking? So this, the blame for this has to fall solely at the feet of Nagel and Grant Showbiz, who were helming this album, I think. that Things had fallen apart. I can't make head nor tail of it, but I'm allowing it. Uh, a meandering recorder. I'm not having that. It's a flute. I know. I know. Invisible Tim is the uh, expert on all all things orchestral. I think it's a penny whistle, and I think it's spewed all over these presets. Um, Smith seems to be enjoying himself, and it sounds like I thought it might have been a cover, like of a 1920s or 30s tune. I could absolutely see this being, you know, played at the uh, Overlook. It's always been my dream, Phil Rigby. Has it always been your dream? You surprised me a bit there, Brian. I, I, I know, on some days I would have just been gushing over how brilliant it is, but, you know, you've caught me on an off day. Well, I, I see this as forming a, a, a bit of a three-piece collection with Secession Man and maybe Last Exit. It's that cabaret feel. It's It's got Nagel's programming all over it. Um, but I'm, I'm bowing to Tim Twa's uh, wisdom on these things, given the debate around records. I thought it was a cheap recorder to start off with, but apparently that's, uh, that's, that's not true. Yeah, totally dug the whole sort of jazzy, kind of uh, daft lyric thing it, it reminded me to quote the Beatles again that uh, there's a George Harrison track off the White Album isn't it where he's just talking about foods and desserts and stuff he's just reading the menu which yeah. is what it reminded me of a little yeah, bit yeah. like he's reading a, a cookery book at the start of this doesn't it mm, and you've got to have a marble light after the Savoy truffle mmm <laughs> So uh, yeah, I I really don't mind this at all. It makes me it makes me laugh. I think it's quite jolly. I think it's fun. Um, <laughs> I I really like the raspy wind instrument, whatever it is. I think the sounds great on it. So, and I I, I do like Mark getting into his cabaret vibe. I, I'm I'm a fan of it. Aye, aye. I think it's just context. I think, like I said, I like these songs to be little tucked away gems, and then I'm like, oh, it's brilliant. But <laughs> Halfway through side two of a storming rock album. Come on, Ezra, you love this, don't you? I do, Brendan, yeah. I mean, of all the tracks this week, this was the earworm for me. And, you know, obviously, I, I mean, if I'd never heard Who Makes the Nazis, for example, 
example, you know, that might have worked, probably would have. And I have heard this as well. This is one of those tracks that you maybe don't pay as much attention to as the others. But then, of course, you know, like, as it's burrowed its way into your ear, and you're just on your way to work thinking, pumpkin, soup, and mashed potato. <laughs> then you're just like, wait a minute. When I, whenever I ever had a meal that consists of pumpkin soup and mashed potato, like, when, when has that ever happened in my life? Does that happen in anybody's <laughs> life? Do people eat pumpkin soup and mashed like I googled it, and there's nothing. <laughs> it's it's not a standard on anyone's menu. Not do it, Marcus. So this has really become a bugbear with me. <laughs> yeah, I love the fact there's no sense of irony in this conversation so far. I can I can see the earnestness. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really I'm really like obsessed with it. And and it's on the unutterable, yeah. And I think the last track or one of the last tracks is Das Katra, where we get like the immortal, to my mind, possibly best lyric of Margie Smith, chicken and chips off the bone. And 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 then I realized that there's a whole micro genre about food I and it's really coming on. not all the songs are good I mean I'm not sure I'm a fan of Steak Place but don't take the pizza off me <laughs> fabulous fabulous and <laughs> And then we get to the music, and it's this wonderful, beautiful cabaret dirge. And I'm sure that's a recorder, because I've also had, you know, I'm not going to, like, pounce on Invisible Tim's chops, but I've had a recorder, and I've gotten some pretty meaty overtones in my time, which was considerable. They used to call me the Evan Parker of the recorder. Well, they didn't, but anyway, I digress. It's great. That's always been my dream. I think we should make an agreement that we all have mashed potatoes and pumpkin soup for our Halloween tea in a, in a few months' time. Hooray! And you can join us too, Fall fans. Let's all link up online and have a big old Zoom conversation over a nice steaming bowl of pumpkin soup and some mashed potatoes. Having that said, it's going out. <laughs> some of the lyrics, Parmesan carrots with mushrooms, frankly, I've never been keen. Physicians moan about the guarantees of vegetables, but to be frank, what I'm keen on is that same old scene, pumpkin soup and mashed potatoes. That is my Halloween tea. That's why I'm always keen. I'm old, not much, but I'm going mad because of the starvation that I've had. Clouds rush by, but I always have my dream. Pumpkin soup and mashed potatoes. That is my Halloween tea. Pumpkin soup and mashed potatoes. They'll keep me clean. Mm. That, that's all I have. Savoring that like a nice steaming bowl of pumpkin soup with a it good. Did, it reminded me of what's that song at the end of Fraser? Is it uh, tossed salad and scrambled eggs? Yes, yes. Maybe that's what I was thinking of too. Maybe he's a Fraser fan. Who knows? What does Tim think of this? These ports. Honestly, I hate this one with a passion. It just irritates me, and I can't quite put a finger on why, other than the lone aesthetic, the lyrics, the production, etc., etc. Good. The voice of reason, finally. So let's take a vote. Is it the great song Powder Keg, which tells us all about the future, or is it this piece of shite? Tim thinks it's a, a Powder Keg, doesn't he? <laughs> He does, yes. And so do I. What about you, Alistair? Um, go on, I'll bet you eat shit and uh, go for the uh, pumpkin soup. Oh, just for a laugh. Ouch. What about you, Ezra? Because I like food and cooking, I'm so tempted to go with pumpkin soup and mashed potatoes. Well, we can do this, Ezra. Uh, we can do this. We can get it. No, I'm, oh. I'm going for powder cake. And you, Ezra? 
the dance. I knew, I knew it. He, he's got too much integrity, unlike you. Go on, have your moment. <laughs> <laughs> and so that means Paddy Keg wins. Uh, Victrola time against the beautiful Snazzy now. Let's have a little bit of Victrola time off the Night of the Humorons single 2012. Record Store Day exclusive. <laughs> this grew on me it's it's a little bit light it's got those squelchy keys and that nice break beat going on i wanted it to be a little bit more hot and heavy but smith is on absolute form with those <laughs> coming in as he was wont to do in those times and um the lyrics he then used again in uh, pre-mdma years uh later on remit the next year which proves to me that smith by himself is better than smith with a fairly lame backing track i liked it but uh yeah it's firmly in the b-side category for me what about you phil yeah so there was some things that i really liked about this i love the the general vibe of how it starts it put me in mood of a like a john carpenter film or something like that and i, I love it when he gets all sci-fi you've got elaine's sort of keyboard stuff uh, working it's magic there the music kind of starts well but it, it runs out of puff a little bit for me this this tune there, there are some other good bits and i really like the chime that's sampled or recorded that comes in fairly early on and sort of punctuates a few bits and then you, you've got this this kind of run out bit where you, the, the tape recorder's playing where you get to hear it and enjoy it a lot more. That intro is fucking hilarious when he comes in. His opening gambit from the vocal line is just fucking, is a scream. Um, and then it sort of settles down into more sort of standard territory really, doesn't it? Um, the other bit that, that jumped out to me as well was the, the vocal interplay actually in terms of uh, the the main line and and the his his dual recorded backing vocal which kind of weaves its way in as well so it's got that duet feel to it so there's there's lots of good stuff going on but yeah it's almost like it's missing something in the middle a little bit I, and i'm not quite sure what it is i don't think i would i don't think i've got the answer to what would kind of complete this but it does feel like it's got something missing for me i i only think it needed a a heavier mix i think it had, it had all the ingredients the breakbeat and the keys and smith's on form a lot of the way through it they're in that middle of that lull that ersatz gb remit lull 
Bowl, where they kind of got out of the meaty pub rocky stuff of the Imperial Wax, but they hadn't come back into that gnarly stuff. I think they hit again with the um, sublingual tablet and towards the end. I, I just think it's production for me because I, I did kind of like the track. Ezra, what about you? Yeah, I like this a lot. Um, what I what I particularly liked, and you know, it's going back to what I mentioned tomorrow, is the, there's some chrome energy coming in here. Smith just swoops in like a deranged harpy on steroids. And it's great. And he, he reuses the, the lyrics to the pre-MDMA years, which I thought was like a masterclass in hydra-headed Marky Smith like tar-gurgling monstrosities and uh, yeah so um, I will read some of these science hasn't recorded it yet and I don't want Benny's jellies, I said MDMA years, you can't feel, you can't feel Victrola Victrola Teller, Victrola Teller from 28, from 61 Victrola, DMA years stop Post meth and DMA years, the pre non met and net years, the post meth and also DMA years, the pre black eyes and tears of today years, the post meth MDMA years, the MDMA years, can't feel I could cry joy, the pre black eyes and tears of today years. I mean, this is really, you know, circling around the edge of fucky bamboo territory. But in some ways, it's all the better for it. And, and you know, musically, I, I didn't think it was lacking at all. It's just nice, pulsing, like, garage synth nonsense. Right on, right on. I mean, those lyrics are some of my favorites, and we voted PMDMA years out, sadly. So if they go this time, they ain't coming back. That's what sway me a little bit. But Alistair, what, what about this one for you? Victrola time. A bit like a, a rework, well, reworking, recycling, whatever you want to call it, of uh, the man who's had expanded or the man who blew his head off whichever one you want to call it Elaine is definitely uh, got a heavy presence on this one and you, you can't not notice the vocals can you it just sounds like he's, you know Smith's doing a, an impression of Charlie the Cat from the public information films uh, and that kind of behaviour should be thoroughly encouraged it settles down into like a nice synthy groove but it, like Phil said I think it's, it is lacking something um, I think it needs some sort of guitar noise in there just to sort of like brighten it up a little bit but yeah it's, again it's, it's a nice dirge um, I did like the, the pinging noise again that Phil mentioned which I thought was like glasses clinking but yeah can't really complain about it I does what he says on tin what about Tim 3 blessed gargling toothless saintliness spectral tingle of struck glass or metal churn of synth and drum what a marvellous soup of sound to swim in he should have said pumpkin suit though shouldn't he absolute classic sweet well he has us divided on this one doesn't he Mark Edward but it is up against snazzy it was off the album Sug Legal Tablet 2015 
for the band I cried outside I cried for the man That sweats muscled melts yeah, yeah. You know, I've been harsh on these tracks this evening, but uh, let's see how this one pans out. Philip Rigby, what do you think of Snazzy? As it starts off, I think not very much of it. It sounds like it could be on TLC or something like that. There's nothing particularly inspired about it until Eleni rocks up, really, and then it's it, it kind of picks up a gear. Um, I, <laughs> I do... I think Smithy's quite on form here. I, I think he, he manages to carve some hooks out of nothing. And I cried for the Browns. That, uh, that proggy sort of set piece that they move into and the, the falsetto that he throws in is... I, that works for me. Um, but musically, especially on the guitar and the, the, the drums it, and, and and the bass as well, it, it skates some very dodgy disco-y territory, which is, I don't think works for anybody, really. I don't think anybody comes out of that looking good. The breaks are decent. It's that standard criticism, really, of it's the music's just a bit functional rather than being particularly inspired at any point. Mark does his best to try and rescue it, I think, with his schmazzy, it's, which is one of them words that you can't say other than in that in that way, really. It's a, it's a nice little observational pick from Mark, I think, using that word. But other than that, there's not really much to write on about, I think. About yeah. <laughs> but let's see what these other two chaps think. What do you think, Ezra? Mm, yeah, I mean, it's nice enough. For me, like, the greatest element of worth in this track is just, like, Marky e. Smith saying, Cry! And and I think that's, you know, that's an oral vision to behold. For the rest of it, yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing overly offensive, but it's, yeah, it's not quite as bopping or anything else. The lyrics are good. Let me tell you about the wee lads and the snazzy jazzy tune. They were regarded as snazzy. Their sweat mottled, melted, their prescription blush. I cried for the band in the aisle. I cried for the man snazzy i never saw them again and if i ever do i'm sure it will be in purgatory where all people will meet cry for the band <laughs> our tears went unnoticed they were snazzy jazzy legs like trunks of ash trunk trunks of tree very nice and musically it's nice but somewhat kind of inoffensive whereas victrola time is either gonna offend or not offend this is gonna remain in purgatory being on subliguel tablet which has got a lot of bangers and the production is generally very good. What you were just saying there could give me away in the way, you know, we let off um, systematic abuse as being some kind of parody or reference. If this was a snazzy, shitty bar band playing a lame version of Hit the North, then Smith comes in and uh, derides them over the top of said tune. I could more or less let him get away with it, but it's very lame, very poor backing track. It's But Smith's on form. He brings the lyrics, he brings the tune. I, I like it for that reason, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Come on. Come on, band. Come on, group. You're supposed to be paying your way as well. Alistair, do you like this? Not particularly, no. You know, this was an okay groove on the, on the verse, and the chorus just kills it for me. This Phil said it was kind of like uninspired sounding. Did it make you cry? No. <laughs> Did it make you cry, Phil? Cry! It's so much. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I think the vocals are the, the only thing that rescue it, really. Yeah, in much the same way that this song, these last two songs, in my mind, have run out of steam, so has this episode of the podcast. We're all tired now talking about this song, Snazzy. Oh, we all need a rest, and if you're still with us, listeners, you need a rest what too. What does Tim think? What does Tim think? A very good point. Ezra. One has something about it that could turn into something good, but this ain't. I like the I cried refrain and the way the band breaks down for it, but the rest is a little too nicey-nicey and feels like it needed a bit more development. I don't think they ever did anything with it live and wonder if they felt the same way about it. Not great, just okay. Okay, shit. Bullshit. It's time for vote. Victrola time or snazzy, Ezra? Obviously Victrola time. Obviously. Alistair? It's Victrola time. Obviously. Troller time. Hmm. Obviously. But not so obviously, because I'm voting for Snazzy, although he can't possibly win at this point. What does Tim... Oh, so that means Mere Pseud Mag, Lucifer over Lancashire, Powder Keg and Victrola Time go through in this 49th episode of the Fallout podcast. We've made it 1.5 centuries. Hooray, <laughs> legit. We're a legit podcast now. We have got 50, <laughs> almost. Next week, another episode of Between the Crowd. Fanar Fanar, in which we will be exposed to multiple songs in which Smith fannies around. So join us for that. Is that is that what another one of those ones that Ezra described as painful um, spirit vision vision quest? I, I feel like I need one of those actually. All right, well, vision quest with me next week, and uh, I'll see you all. Bye. 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 Bye.